Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and we got a great one for you today. Today, we're actually going to hear from Brandon Waddell. Uh, Brandon is the founder, owner of Mountain Archery Fest, which is a 3D archery shoot that travels the country. So they have events in Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Pennsylvania, Georgia, really all over the place. So check them out. Um, I've put links to his events in the show notes. Um, now, Brandon, he's got some amazing stories, and he tells us two um, specifically on the, the podcast today. One of his very first buck, and then another one of one of our previous podcast guests, Guide de Planchier, and um, their elk hunt that they recently had in Western Slope of Colorado. Uh, so I don't want to steal too much thunder, so I'm just going to let you know Brandon go ahead and tell you his stories. All right, Brandon, welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, man. How are you, Michael? I'm doing great, man. I'm happy to have you here. Um, the, the listeners don't know this, but we we struggled to get together on this. Uh, you had a couple snowstorms just basically locking you up and uh, taking your time. So I really do appreciate, man, that you were able to jump on and, and share some of your stories with us today. You're welcome, man. I appreciate your patience. You know, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, when it's when it, it's kind of like making hay, you know, when it snows, you get called. And, uh, and then the one time I was in a skid and got stuck and, and I couldn't get the hell out and I had no cell phone and it was just a shit show. Uh, <laughs> it's just you guys are in Boston, to be though. honest, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So I appreciate your patience, man. I was telling Thomas a little while ago, I said, bro, he's all, let's go to the Sitka party. And I was all, Nope, can't do it. I said, I've left Michael hanging twice. Dude. Like, uh, I told him yeah. the day, third time's a charm, dude. So I'm in. <laughs> I'm going to the hotel room and I'm going to go tell some stories, man. He's all, oh, there you well, go. that's good for you. You never shut up. So that would be perfect <laughs> podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, but the, you're the exact kind of person we want to have on here, Brandon. Well, why don't we start this thing off, man? We'll let you introduce yourself. Um, but of course, I am sorry that you're missing the Sitka party. But oh, I'm not sorry about it at all, dude. Uh, <laughs> I've slowed my roll a lot lately, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm Brandon Waddell. Uh, I live in Southwest Colorado. I live in Hesperus. Uh, I've been, I've been bow hunting for about 13 years now. Prior to that, I was never a hunter. I was a fisherman. Um, you know, I got my start. I had, a, I met a guy in the barbershop who I kind of knew from, from earlier days. And, and he, uh, Tommy Romero is his name. And he had a deer tag in the unit I live in and the unit I live in only has about 10% public land. Okay. So you got to know someone to, to do well. Well, I yeah. bought this house that had been basically taken over by deer and elk because no one lived there for three years. Okay. And, uh, so I invited him out to come out and, and shoot a, a third season rifle tag. He came out, shot a great buck. We were sitting around having a couple Coors Lights, chit-chatting. He's like, you shoot a bow? You ever shot a bow? And I'm like, well, I shot a bow when I was in Boy Scouts, you know, something like that. Right. Like, no, no, no. Like, if you shot a compound bow, you know? And I'm like, nope. So he whips out this bow, and, and I start I start shooting this bow. And, you know, I get into – we just set up target about 20 yards away. And and he's like, dude, this bow fits you perfect. He's like, other than the pee-pee and just a little bit off, like the draw length's just right for you. And, you know, this – you should let's shoot this thing. And so – I'm Man, that's convenient. That's yeah, convenient. Dude, I mean, I couldn't really aim, aim, like super aim, you know, because I couldn't get the people quite to line up. But 
I could get about half that peep, so I could find a little bit there. But and we were shooting, and pretty soon I just totally couldn't hear him talking to me anymore. Like he's just like, wah, 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 wah. And I started to realize that I had found something that really engaged me in the moment and just that really took my attention and the world could kind of spin without me. You know, yeah. I grew up, I grew up, that's cool. Grew up a little different. Like, you know, I grew up riding a lot, dirt bikes, you know, I'm a product of the eighties. So it was all, you know, fast cars, women and drugs, rock and roll and women, you know? And so it was like, everything I did was full throttle all the time. Uh, ended up, for the most part, I tell people that the only time the world spins without me was when I was either riding my Harley or riding my wife. That was the only time that the world <laughs> didn't have my attention. And uh, I'll tell you what, when I, when I shot that bow, man, it, it totally took me into a whole nother place. And I just remembered what I was missing in the outdoors as a Boy Scout and a young man. And, you know, I quickly kind of receded from riding around triple digit style on my scoop. And I started shooting my bow. And I mean, I had a bow for a month and then I sold it and I upgraded and got another one and sold it. And then I finally got into a, you know, a good bow. Yeah. Um, and from there, dude, I just, I've never looked back, you know, and I, you know, we can talk a little bit more about where I'm at today, a little later in the podcast, but, um, you know, I obviously I bought this property, so I had some opportunity at some good mule deer. Yeah. How many, how many so, acres did you have there? I only have 40 acres, um, okay. but then there, but I have some great neighbors. Okay. So I had a neighbor next to me before she, a woman owned it. I called her, asked her if I could hunt it. It was another 280. Um, I got to know another neighbor. They had another 300. Um, and then there was another 40 behind me. And then I met a neighbor caddy corner for me and she wasn't much of a hunter, but she shoots a lot, uh, rifle pistol. She's a competitor. Um, and, uh, and she had also told me yes. So I had a nice little chunk of property that I could hunt. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so there was, I used to wake up in the morning the, when we first moved in this house. And I used to wake up and this whole group of, of bucks would go right past my horse arena and go bed down over at Pam's place. The one that shoots competitively. And um, so I decided my nephew kind of started pushing me in the direction of hunting as well. Jacob. And Tommy, between those two, you know, I started shooting a bow and then got a little confidence and decided I wanted to start hunting. Well, I had a buck that I really had my eyes on, of course, and he was a he was a toad. Um, big, beautiful, beautiful buck, um, almost perfectly symmetrical, typical five-pointer. Um, and so I spent a bunch of time chasing him around because obviously I wasn't a good hunter. I was a brand new hunter. Didn't know what I was doing. Had no idea how to play the wind right. Had no idea how to <laughs> stock on nothing. I mean, like I was complete amateur. And was so, this the season right after your buddy let you shoot his bow, or was there a couple, yes, couple years? No, in between? That, okay. so I yeah no. So that was in November, and and basically, uh, so then in August, end of August is when archery used to start um, okay. in Colorado. So. Uh, the very next year I started hunting, uh, I met this deer over on the 280 Had found him bedded up, uh, was trying to make a stock on this buck and blew the stock. Never seen him again the rest of the month. 
had a couple other opportunities to kind of get close to some other deer didn't really come together so here i am another year later okay i get another deer tag and basically where i lived at that point i could draw this tag every year uh, so then the next year i got a little bit better got a little bit closer um we i chased him around a bunch of times and i finally caught him bedded on the other side of a, about a 20 yard round oak brush okay big tall oak brush filled in and so i tried to sneak up on him he jumped up and we had a total mexican standoff around this thing <laughs> okay i mean like he's looking at me i'm looking at him i walk to the right he walks to the left i start to go back to the left he walks to the right like he wasn't going to run away like he was trying to figure out like which way to go <clears throat> and so after a couple minutes i decided i was just going to draw my bow I was going to run around the oak bush and I was going to do what I could to get a shot. I'm like, he'll give me a runaway look back shot. Right. I mean, mule deer like so you're going to run around. around while I full draw. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, cause I, you know, yeah, I totally came to full draw, went running around this bush, full draw thinking that, you know, he might run away and give me like this, you know, a 40 yard stop turnaround look that mule deer like to do. Man, he, he gave me nothing but asshole, dude. He was gone. Like, I mean, <laughs> when I came around that bush, man, he was history. He never gave me a look back shot at all. So the next year I decide, the next year we ended up actually planting our pasture with alfalfa and sorghum for horses and goats and um, into, into hay up and bale. And uh, so I started, I decided I was going to put trail cameras up that third year because I'm like, I need people start telling me you need a pattern, right? You need to find out where they're going. You need to figure out where you can get them. Where are they bedding? Where are they eating? Where are they drinking? So I knew that they were coming to a small pond that I had on the corner of my property when there was water. And I'd gotten some great pictures of these deer off that pond. And so I was like, okay, but most of them were always at dark after dark, right? Never, <laughs> Never very often did I have this stud on daylight camera. And so to kind of rewind a little bit, I used to do this thing called the shop, caught, and trapped barbecue. Okay. So I used to, me and my nephew Jacob used to cook for about, first year was about 10 or 20 people. And then it was 30, 40 people. And then it became 60, 80 people. But we always did it on Labor Day weekend on Saturday. Well, in the beginning when I was hunting, that's opening weekend. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't used to get many of my hunter friends, nothing like that, but we used to have a great time, good group of people. And so that third year, we, it was, we decided we were going to keep it on that weekend. So I cooked all week and I did shot cotton trap barbecue on Saturday, opening day. Usually after we got done doing the barbecue, we'd open up pints of moonshine and we sit our asses around we'd play some washers and we'd sit around the fire. Well, that night I got a wild air that I was going to go over and look and see if there's any deer over <laughs> over in the pond so i cruised up over there with a bright light and sure enough dude i mean i had seven big bucks over there in the corner hanging out and i was like okay i'm gonna come back and hunt in here tomorrow morning well tomorrow morning came and went dude i i was so hung over drinking jars of moonshine <laughs> that i never got out of bed i never made it over there and That's so, funny. One of my previous guests, they uh, they tell a similar story where they uh, <laughs> they it's the night before opening day and they have a party 
And they always call this party the save the deer party because everyone gets so messed up that no one goes out opening day. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's funny that you're doing the, the same thing there a little less intentionally yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I was kind of bummed out, but I was super hungover, man. And, uh, so then my wife went into town and got some Chinese, came back out. It was about three or three o'clock in the afternoon, ate some Chinese and my kids were raising hell. I got nine kids and they were just, they were pissing me off and they were loud. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go put on my stuff, grab my bow and I'm going to go sit in my blind that I put down there. And I'm just going to go get away from everybody and chill out. I figured I've never seen this buck in daylight, it's, it's, yeah, but I'm just going to go take a nap basically. Yeah. <laughs> so I threw on some stuff and I went over and I climbed in my blind and and I was fading away. I could hear my kids on the trampoline. I could get, hear Pam's kids on the trampoline on each side of me, you know, 300, 400 yards away from me, respectively, each side. And I was sitting there on that bucket in my blind, and just chilling out, falling asleep. And I hear this, boom, 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 boom. And I was like, I think that's deer, like jumping the fence. <laughs> <laughs> so I lean over and I open up that blind and I look doing that buck is literally standing two or three feet from the window. <laughs> I mean, right there, dude, I started shaking so bad that you could hear my britches on the bucket squeaking back and forth. Cause I was just shaking out of my mind. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I sat there, everything I did made a noise. I put my, my, I didn't even have an arrow knocked. I throw it on teeth, you know, and I was just like, everything was so amplified in there. It was crazy. And I sat there for a good five minutes and that deer never came in front of the window of my blind. And then about the time I was going to get off my bucket and look to see where they went, he stepped right in front of my blind, 17 of yards away. And, uh, I drew back that prime bow of mine. And I sent that G three through his heart, dude. And he didn't go 40 yards. And, uh, that was a three years of killing the deer. I named the Monarch. And I'll tell you why he ended up scoring 192, and he only had one and a quarter inch deductions. Wow. And, uh, he is a stud and it's been all but downhill from there. Michael, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I tell you, how many places to go from 192? Dude, you know, we had quite a relationship. I mean, that's a little bit of some fast forwarding through a little bit of those years. But, you know, I I tried really hard as a new hunter to try to get that deer because, you know, I had read so much about how your neighbors will shoot it before you get to shoot it or this or that and so on. And so I tried really hard for a really long time, three years, three yeah. years it took me to kill that buck. And, and he made the fatal mistake of hopping over the fence to go get some water in daylight with just <laughs> probably about 10 minutes of light left. And I'll tell you what, I shot that deer. And then I was so excited. I stuck my head out the window, my whole body out of that triangle window, me and my bow. <laughs> and I was, I was just so excited. And I look over and, there's those other four deer, all good, respectable deer. And I literally look at him and I'm all, I shot your buddy. 
<laughs> and they hauled ass and uh and i jumped out of that blind and you know not in any disrespectful fashion but dude i was dancing like, oh I yeah i mean dancing. it's your first first archery kill oh. but first kill ever right because you hadn't hunted first, before you picked up a bow yeah first kill ever ever <sighs> and plus with that's my awesome bow, you know and, and, and on the back end of a hangover too oh <laughs> i felt yeah, real I, good and i'll tell you what dude, my hangover was gone just like that yeah I mean, the amount there's, of endorphins the cure. and adrenaline was killer. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Something you mentioned at the very beginning of this story that I wanted to come back to was when your buddy let you uh, shoot his bow. Uh, and that's what got you kind of into that, you know, what do they call it? Uh, Zen and the Art of Archery, right? Great book, by the way. Short yeah, book. For sure. Difficult, difficult read, but great book. But, great um, book. but I was, I've only let one person ever sh- pull my bow back. And I'm a big guy. I got a very long draw length. And my buddy, I'm 6'4". My buddy's like 6'1". And I didn't think about draw lengths. Um, so I gave it to him. And he pulls it back. And the string, he tucks it right behind his ear. And I was like, do, do not let... I, from that point forward, I never let shoot, someone shoot my bow again. Because he, I was like, you let go of that bow, you're ripping your ear off. I was like, yeah. Yeah. just let that down nice and slow. So uh, <laughs> it's convenient that it worked out so well for you. Because it could have ended like my story. My buddy's doesn't hunt, doesn't shoot. I don't think he's ever shot a bow, but he drew back one time and I was like, stop. <laughs> so yeah. it worked out you know, very differently for him. What's pretty cool is that, that bow, that prime that I shot that deer with actually Tommy owns that bow and he still owns it and shoots it. Um, he had an old Matthews man, single cam was slow as could be. He would shoot at deer and they'd walk around the earth and still there would miss him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh so then now he, he actually it was that was the coolest part is i sold him that bow and all he had to do is just go move his peep site i mean we're we're perfect drawings i mean it couldn't have been any better that's awesome that's so convenient yeah i've yet to i also shoot southpaw so it's hard to find someone that uh match, matches my specs but maybe someday i've got a i've got Dude. a bow right now sitting under a um in a case sitting under a futon just waiting until i meet that other hunter that i'm <laughs> give it there to. there you go so yeah, finding lefties is far and few between. You know, um, yeah. my my uh, bow tech at our local bow shop, Glayson, he's a lefty, and and I wish he was a righty because he blows through bows like they're Fez candy. And I could, <laughs> I mean, and he and he gives and he sells them for nothing. Like you know, yeah. I could have had some really great bows over the years from him <laughs> if I was a lefty. What's his draw length? <laughs> Maybe you could introduce me uh i think he's a 30 and a half uh, not quite and a half okay well that's cool well that's a great story brandon i love it i love it you uh yelled at your at his buddies i get I yeah, shot, your I buddy. shot your buddy yeah that's, <laughs> i don't know i didn't know why where the hell that came from i just but that was what was on my mind when i stuck my i jumped out looked over at him i was just like i shot your buddy that's yeah, perfect, they, man. they gave me that blink look and they were gone man because uh, they were they were pretty confused they were trying to figure out why he took off running and then piled up 40 yards later um uh, i'm sure you gotta but, share some photos of that buck with me because i, I, I don't well, know if i've uh i don't remember last time i saw one 190 inch especially that's symmetrical of a, yeah, of he's, a buck he's a beautiful deer dude and um you know i wish that i had velvet antler technologies back then um versus trying to freeze it he's in velvet okay um, wow 190 you know, try, in velvet wow and then trying to get him 
frozen and injected and all that. Uh, that was all new to me, man. I And then to even make it worse, I shot that deer and basically capped his, capped his skull. And then when I took it to my buddy, who a gentleman by the name of Dennis Howell, who's really taught me how to elk hunt. And I took it to him. I said, you got room in your freezer? He's like, oh, yeah, I got room in my freezer, man. Bring it down and you can throw it in my freezer. I showed up and he looked at me and he about put me on my ass. He couldn't believe that I'd whacked that skull, screwed up that cape on a deer of that caliber. Like he had, he yeah. looked at me, he's like, you don't have any idea what you just did. Like you, <laughs> you shot a toad, man. And I was just like, okay. Like I didn't, I had no idea. I mean, I, he was the biggest deer. Yeah. I was good. He was the biggest deer and I thought he was beautiful and I thought he was perfect, you know? So that was the deer I wanted. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, patience, patience worked out and yeah, me, I bet you're still pretty happy with them regardless of how you ended up capping. Oh it. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, dude. I mean, I've got him mounted, you know, just, you know, that, you know, old school skull plate style mountain. I don't know. I've thought about maybe getting him put on a, if I shoot another respectable mule deer, maybe one of these days with a good Cape or something, something that's gritty. Yeah. But he was had a big old Roman nose. He was a he was a toad. He was a good deer. So that's I kind of awesome. regret I regret that. So yeah, you know, that's kind of a word of the wise on this telling story here is you know, there's you know, maybe it was good I didn't know what I had, you know, to some degree what I was really doing. Um, because now, dude, even to this day, dude, I get buck fever, I get buck fever hard. Like, yeah, um, you know, I've I've killed six mule deer at this point you know about That's every other year about 50 percent success rate for the amount of time yeah. i've been hunting um, in 13 years six in the last 10 years if it took you three years to get one that's pretty that's, yeah. that's damn good yeah no i'm pretty lucky i got a good country around me you know i mean and i don't hunt just my private land um picked off three of those on public okay. um and three more on private and, Let me ask uh, you this. So you obviously went after deer first, but did you like do August for deer and then jump right into elk or did you get, have both tags and you just happened to run across deer or when did you start elk hunting? Well, I was already elk hunting at that point. And so what I was doing is, you know, I would spend the first week or two hunting mule deer, you know, and then I'd fade into elk hunting after that for the remainder of the month, you know, kind of wait for the rut to get around a little bit and then start going out. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but I'm actually kind of, you know, I've changed my tactics over the years. I mean, I, I really spend opening weekend on elk now. Um, you know, I've had great success hunting, hunting elk over summer pattern water, right. In the very first weekend. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of something that I really enjoy doing. I love throwing a saddle in a tree, uh, over a good wallow, a good drinker. And just keeping my mouth shut, not saying yeah. anything. Keep sent down everything, play whitetail tactics, sneak in there, get in a tree and be patient because, you know, because as long as you're not disturbing the pattern or introducing anything new or then they tend to just kind of do their thing. And so if you've got good cameras on on good camera footage and and consistent behavior, then I just I try to maximize that as much as I can. Got it. That makes total sense, man. That makes total sense. Well, um, here's a, here's a little of a transition. You talked a little bit about elk hunting. I think you mentioned one of our previous guests and you have a story there. 
with uh with guy is that right yeah yeah with guy yep well, why don't um, we kick that one off man i'd, yeah, I'd love to hear it <laughs> I, ho- I hope it's uh at his uh at his expense but we'll see <laughs> yeah, it's, it it's uh so anyway i met guy uh through mountain archery fest and through his podcast and got to know him um earlier through my podcast but then i eventually got to meet him in person and he was sitting at our snow basin shoot and he was telling me about his, his colorado elk tag and i said well what unit did you draw and he saw oh i'm in you know i'm in 71 and i was like he goes but i heard it's not a good unit um i'm just gonna turn the tag in and i just looked at him and i was all dude that's that's where i hunt like you know that's my backyard as i said and uh you know i can i can help you out on getting into elk like you know yeah. i have a tag so why don't we figure out how to go together so then he was like okay all right talk me into it you know all right <laughs> i'll keep my tag and and i'll come out and see you and so we made arrangements for him to come out and you know i had a i got a good camping spot up there that's it's it's pretty high it's just about eleven thousand feet um and what's crazy is that you can literally almost drive to it. Um, and in this unit, in this unit over there, you know, it's a good unit. It's not a, it's not a unit known for holding big elk, but it definitely holds opportunity. Yeah. So, um, so he cruised out, he left a couple of days ahead of time. He cruised out. He stopped one night on his way, cruised in, we met. Uh, in this little town and we cruised up there and we were cruising up in the rain. It was, it was raining a little bit the day before opener. And when we were cruising in, we spotted some elk in this burn down low at about 8,100 feet. Yeah. And so we cruised in there, kind of bahad in in the mud and, and tried to get in there and see if we could figure out where they went. And we got in there and it was weird because we got in there and we were climbing this little small ridge and we, we'd spotted a couple of cows and then we heard a rifle shot in there, um, which was not something you should be hearing in there. Yeah. Not, and, not opening uh, day. Yeah. And we kind of were poking around just a little bit and some guy on a four wheeler went hauling ass out of there. And, um, but no elk on no elk in tow, but it was literally about five minutes after we heard that shot. And so, we didn't really know what the hell was going on, but then the elk turned around and boogered back over where they'd come from, back over the burn and then over this other way. And we saw a couple small bulls in the group, but you know, we we had a plan and we were gonna stick to the plan. So we cruised up uh, up to eleven thousand feet and we set camp that night. And uh I woke up in the morning and and guy was like, Hey, I you know I'm gonna sleep a little more. Um <laughs> I uh I'm tired from driving in, you know, I'm going to sleep yeah. more. And I was like, okay, all right, that sounds good. I said, well, I'll go sit this wallow and uh, see if everything goes down. I'll come back at lunch. So I cruised in the truck, went, went a couple miles into this wallow. And I sat on this wallow and had a raghorn basically skirting me playing, playing the wind, skirting me. He could, he could, he was catching my wind every now and then. Yeah. I mean, he was doing full 360 circles around me and, but he was still pretty curious. He really wanted that water. He, he yeah. really wanted to be there. So he, he gave me a two and a half hours of playing around and messing around. And, um, and I was like, okay, I'm bored. So nothing else had come around. So I cruised back out of there and I cruised back to camp. Well, I get back to camp, an old guy was laying halfway in his tent and halfway out of his tent. 
dry heaving his dry heaving his ass off. Jesus. (laughs) And he basically, I rolled him over to see if he was okay. And I don't know if you've seen Guy or if you know Guy. Yeah, I've met him in person once. He's a go ahead. Dude, he rolled over. He's kind of got that dark Frenchy skin, a little Mexican in him, you know, if you will. Anyway, he rolled over, dude. He was wise as a ghost, and his eyes were puffing out of his head like Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, dude, and freaked me out. And uh, basically, he was super sick, high altitude sickness. I mean, he was like, I was, was going to guess, yeah, like hyperbaric kind of deal. He was not because he came from sea level to your 11,000 foot camp. Yeah. Yeah. That'll do it. Two days. Right. And, uh, you know, he said he stayed the night, you know, lower before and he felt good and he came up and that night he was good. felt fine. Was drinking plenty of water. He'd been taking altitude advantage before coming and taking reds and greens. And, you know, he was taking, he was doing some work to take care of himself before he came up there and training and working out so I didn't think anything of it, to be honest with you. And then, but man, when I rolled him over and saw him, I was like, holy shit, dude. Like, you're not good, man. We got to, we got to get you off this fucking mountain, like right now. Yeah. And, uh, dude, he's a big old boy, man. He's, he's a big, a big old guy. Boy. And I'll tell you, it took, it took a lot of what I had to get his ass up and get him in the truck and get him in there. And I mean, you know, and he's in his underwear and socks. <laughs> You know, so I'm wrestling this guy trying to get him in my truck. I don't even know if people drove by. They're probably wondering what the hell's going on in camp over there. Uh, oh, man. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now not curious why guy didn't tell this story. Yeah, I was <laughs> on this I thought for sure he'd tell this story because I've heard him tell it over and over. Because he loves to, he loves to pick on me on the other side of the story. So, All right. So, anyway, I load him up. I grab gear. I grab a tent. I grab some shit, some food. Cause I don't really know where we're going or what we're getting ourselves into. Honestly, I was going to just drive him into town and take him to the hospital. And, uh, anyway, we were cruising down and we get down, down the mountain and we bomb down pretty fast. And, uh, we get down to about 9,000 feet and he's over, he's all curled up over in the passenger seat, looking away from me out the window, not doing good. And, we uh we get past this lake and I hit this sharp turn and he kind of rolls over and he looks at me and I'm, dude, I was just like, holy shit. He's like, what? And I'm like, like you're fucking normal. Like you like all your puffiness went away and like your eyes are back in your skull. And like, like I'm like, that's I mean, dude, I was like, this is crazy. Like, yeah. this is really crazy. And, uh, and I'm like, how you doing? He's like, well, I feel, I feel a little bit better. You know, I mean, a little bit. He, he's like, did I really look that bad? And I was like, oh, dude, holy shit. Like, you, you're totally back to normal. This is crazy. So we sat there for a few minutes and he's like, he's like, man, I just feel bad. I don't want to hold you up on this hunt, you know? And I said, dude, I, I said, I'll tell you what, why don't we, um, why don't we cruise down where we saw those elk? when we were driving in last night, let's just cruise back up in there and let's go see, you know, let's just hang out down here for a little while and I'll go in there and hunt and see if we can find anything. So we cruised in there and, and, uh, and we came across some great sign and, and he was feeling good. He's like, oh, I'm going to put my stuff on. Let's, you know, and, and guys thing was, is he really wanted to come out and in trade for me showing him my honey holes and he was like, I want to call for you. Cause I'd made a comment to him during the summer that I'm always the caller, you know, I don't yeah. have any, 
I don't have any bros that call really well or, you know, none of my kids really all that well either. And so I was just always the guy calling. And so he was like, well, I've been working really hard at my calling, you know, and, and, uh, and, and dude, it, 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 he's amazing. He's, ama- yeah. he's an amazing elk caller. And, um, uh, so we cruise in there into this basin and we're cruising around and we, we come across some good sign and we finally get this bull to answer us. And so we go to put this stock on this bull and I'm trying to creep in on this bull and, and I can't see him. And the whole time guy is like 70 yards from me and he's like dead to rights on himself. He can see him. He can see what he's doing. He's getting him worked up. He's getting him playing. And I'm slowly trying to work in and, and, uh, and end up being, I blow it. Right. This, this bull busts me. He starts making his way down the hill. I didn't hear him make any moves like he was moving at all. He kind of was coming in a little silent and basically this bull spotted me and he boogered off. So guy and I, it's getting close to dark and I'm like, all right, well, you know, you feeling better. He's like, yeah, I'm feeling better. Let's go back to camp. I'm hungry. Let's go back up there and get something to eat and whatnot. So I'm like, all right. So we jump in the truck and we haul ass up there. We weren't up at camp 10 minutes and I look over and he's back to being stay puff marshmallow man, turning white, turning <laughs> inside out. And I just was like, dude, we got to get you off this hill. So he had bought a brand new rooftop tent deal for his truck and all this stuff. And so we just pack him up. I mean, just pack it in. It's throwing it in the truck. I'm like, dude, you're going to have to drive off the mountain and follow me. And he's like, okay, I can do it. You know, and I mean, he could barely walk. Um, he was the, he was a complete train wreck. And so that's crazy, man. That, so I've heard guy on, I think it must've been his podcast could have been the Elk Bros podcast. I'm not sure, but he says that there's like, he knows exactly what elevation that he can't yeah. go above, but he, he never really explained yep. it, like how bad it is for him. That's crazy, man. Dude, 9,000 feet is the threshold. Like yeah. literally 8,800, 9,000 feet. It's over. Um, he tried doing 92, 93, 94. He can't, he can't do it. Um, and, uh, so we get down the hill, he follows me down, he makes it down. We make it past the reservoir. We're cruising out. And I'm like, okay, trying to find some place for us to throw camp. You know, I figured, okay, well, we're just going to stay down low. We'll work on this elk that we found and, and we'll make the best of it. And I had a couple other places we could go, but like I said, they were about 92, 93. And, uh, I figured 10 was his threshold. You know, I just wasn't sure. So we go down and we, we pull in this spot and I'm like, I don't know, dude, right here. Like let's throw up camp right here. It's midnight for crying out loud. We're exhausted. Let's just throw it up. We'll figure out if we need to move tomorrow. Dude, we didn't sleep a wink, dude. Bulls were screaming all (laughs) night long, all the way around us, man. It was it was impressive. Yeah. And I mean, in guy, dude, he was just lit. Like he just, he was so excited, you know, that he's like, dude, like we've disaster struck and look at us. We're in the, we're in the thick of them now, you know? I mean, and he was super excited and I was pretty stoked as well, to be honest. I couldn't believe that we ran into this little, this little spot and we had elk all the way around. us. Yeah. Active, active vocal elk. So anyway, um, we wake up the next morning, you get out a couple hours of sleep. We get up early. We decided where we felt like the, there were the closest bulls to us. And we decided we'd make some moves and we hunted that morning and 
hunted that afternoon and we we got in near some and we tried to work some and we were trying to get our bearings kind of where we were at some private property here or there and a couple of things we were working through and some patchwork shit and anyway we started really glassing up these bulls and we started noticing the you know good majority of them were back over where we were um in that where the burn was yeah. So we decided we were going to start making some plays over there around this, around this big property. Okay. There was a big piece of private over there and there was bulls coming in and out of it all in and all over the South side and the, and the East side of this property. So we spent a couple days kind of figuring out the lay of the land. And then we finally decided we went in over there by that private. We, we walked around the corner of that private and we, went up on this ridge we thought there was a bull just over this break of this little ridge line so we worked up over this ridge line we're sneaking our way up over we kind of get up in there and, and before we get up in there these cows come running out and it was like almost like we didn't it wasn't we didn't think it was really our fault that they left yeah. where they were and uh so me and guy decided that we were going to work our way up over where these cows were and we were just going to take their place because we'd realized that this bull had left these cows behind and was running on, on over onto the private. So we sat there that morning for a good hour, a good hour and, um, calling, working this bull, working this bull. And so I was sitting the fence line. He was backed off the fence line about a hundred yards. Okay. And there was a spot in the, in the fence where they were basically making their path through the rest of the fence was pretty high big steep drop off for them to come over which what isn't something they would do unless they have to and there was a funneling point that they were kind of working so guys like you sit here like sit here i'll call that bull up through this thing and you kill him okay all right so i sat there for an hour or so and nothing nothing that bull was just kind of doing his thing call, talking back talking back talking back and guy was laying some nice sequences over there you know come back, telling this bull to come back, you know, gather, you know, doing some lead cow calling and a few things. And, and, uh, man, I sat there, 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 sat there. I got, I got bored. Okay. I got bored. He was having all the fun calling, which I was bitching about earlier in the summer that I'm not always the caller. So I decided I was going to go over and just be like, Hey, you know, like this bull doesn't want, he ain't going to come. He's hung up. He ain't gonna come. So I cruise over and I sit down next to guy and I drop my pack and he's talking to me just a little bit and this bull's still talking and so guy's still telling this bull to come back over here, stumble over here. And I'm sitting there and I always carry a pop tart. Like pop tarts, my that and little and a star crunch Debbie snack. Those are like my my sugar <laughs> weak my sugar weaknesses in my in my snack bag. Yeah. So I sit down with him and I break that I break that pop tart open and i'm sitting there and i eat one of them and i'm about ready to bite into the next one and when you hear this boom boom and he's all Did you hear that <laughs> i said yeah i did he's all something just came over the fence i said uh-huh and here comes this bull dude he just he's just coming right in dude i mean right into where we're at and i jump up grab my bow throw an arrow in He's standing right to my right. We're 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 sitting there, and I'm and then I look at this bull and I come to full draw. I think he's gonna come, I mean, walk 
two yards in front of me. I mean, literally yeah. like right in front of me. And lo and behold, does he not stop about nine yards from us? Stops and he's going, he's breathing heavy. He's, you know, he's, he come in, he stops and he, he perks his ears up and he whips a 180 right there in beds, nine yards from me and guy. <laughs> <laughs> beds beds right in front of us okay but this this oak brush from about three feet down is as thick as could be okay the lower story of this is really thick and i'm still a full draw and guys looking at me like what the hell like and i'm looking he's all can you see him like, i have no shot i mean we're whispering this to each other right yeah and he's like yeah and i'm like huh all i can see is an ear and antlers and he's all take a shot and i'm like i don't even know where to shoot like i mean i know he's right there but like <laughs> i can't see his body i can't see any vitals like i i'd just be shooting an arrow into the bushes you know and he's standing there and he's all well, what do we do i don't know i don't know what to do I just, <laughs> i've never had a bull walk within 10 yards of me and then just bed down like i mean you know, I mean, it was just the craziest thing. And guy gets his camera out and he's trying to, he's trying to get video footage and I'm standing there still full draw. And I'm just thinking, well, he's going to get up. You know, I mean, that bull's just laying there, just laying there doing nothing. And we couldn't move. We couldn't make a peep. We couldn't do nothing. We didn't know what to do. And about that time, about 45 seconds later, a minute later, you see his ear turn. And then he just stands up and walks out. I mean, even when he stood up, I still had nothing. And he walks oh, out. Man. And Guy is like, looking at me like, holy shit, dude. I just called this bull right to our feet, dude. He just came in and bed <laughs> right to our feet. Like, holy shit, that's so badass. And he's like, Joe never told me what to do. Joe never told me what to do when you do that. Like, you know, Joe from Milk Bros. He was like, you know, yeah. in all these classes and, and and Chris Rowe and all these people that he learned to call from. He was like, I've never, that's the craziest shit ever. I didn't know what to do. We were <laughs> laughing because it was like, that's the closest we ever had milk to us in our lives. I mean, we couldn't even get a shot off. And we just thought it was so amazing that he came in and just bedded down like right next to us. I mean, our wind was perfect. He yeah. basically, I, he basically came back bedded down, and I think it took him about a minute to realize that his cows weren't where he left them. So he stands up, walks the other end of the oak brush, bugles for his cows, and because he's, he's like, "Where the hell did you go?" And he jumps over the fence. Next, and I go running around the bushes back for the fence, and then next thing you know, guy calls him back over the fence. He's the, the bull's <laughs> like, oh, oh, they guess they were there. So then he comes back over the fence, but I'm still not in a good position. Then he tries circling us. Now he knows something isn't right. And he's circling us and he's doing this different stuff. And and uh, and then his cows finally actually peeped up about 200 yards away over on the private. And then he he jumped back over that Gone. fence a couple times, running down the fence line, jumping across another spot. He was so confused. And uh Anyway, he ended up booging back over with those cows, and me and guys sat there and laughed our asses off because 
we didn't know what to do. We had no idea. Like, okay, he just bent it. Now, is there? Do we make a sound? Do we cow call? Yeah. Do we do we <laughs> do we start breathing heavy like we're a cow in the bushes and get him to stand back up? Like we we didn't even know what to do with ourselves. And uh, anyway, it was it was amazing, dude. That was an awesome encounter. I that's mean, so cool. Even if you don't even if you don't kill an elk, that's still an awesome encounter. But I'll tell you what, dude. To this day, guy always cracks on me about not being in position. I told you I, had <laughs> I, bet, I, I told you he was gonna come back. If you'd have just been in position, we'd have shot a bull today. I mean, dude, he gave me so much crap. Still to this day, he gives me a hard time about that hunt because you know, because I didn't get it done. And then I I could only hunt with him for three days, and then I had to go down and and hunt in New Mexico. I had a great tag in New Mexico and I left him up there. He spent a month up there hunting the whole month and um and so I left there kind of feeling like, damn, I could have had a bull already and could have filled my elk tag in Colorado. And, and, uh, so then I motored down to New Mexico and I spent nine days down there and I spent eight days chasing Godzilla down there on some <laughs> private. Uh, we'd found a 390 double devil time down there that we hunted for eight days. Uh, he didn't have any vocal cords left. He was an old bull. He, he sounded like T-Rex. I mean, anywhere he was at in that BLM, if he piped off, we knew exactly where he was. Yeah. He was the only bull that sounded like that. And, uh, you know, I had an awesome opportunity to shoot a good bull in a blind down there on some water and I passed him up. It was my second night there. And I came back and I showed Toby that bull, it, the guide that I was with down there. Toby's with Antler Canyon Outfitters. He donates a he donates a coos deer and a mule deer hunt to Mountain Archery Fest every year. And so mm-hmm. I went down to cook for him in a camp. And then as part of that, I actually drew a tag in that unit. So I got to go hunt it too in between. And uh long story short, man, that that 390 bull had what I called service, like secret service elk all around him. I mean, 333 50 <laughs> bulls. You couldn't get near this big dude. And uh, we chased him quite a bit. And then me and Colton, that second to last night, we were watching bulls break, break, break. I mean, all day long, bulls were breaking. In fact, earlier that day, there was this nice six by six I saw about 376 by six. And I, I had bumped him out of this spot and I was about a third of a mile away. And I picked him and his cows up again. And I knew he was going to bed in that same spot because I could see where the cows bedded and they bedded in the same spot where I'd bumped them four days before. So I cruised over there. I dropped my shit, cruised over there, ran this ridge, got over to this butte. It was about a 25 foot round butte that was only about two feet tall. And, and I just got up on it and I was looking, looking, and I could see, I could see his rack. And so I measured this, I measured this cedar tree and I jumped up, drew my bow, stood up. And as soon as I drew and put that pin on him, I was like, what the hell? When I, before I started running over there, I saw him sparring with this little, this little raghorn. And, uh, and, and dude, he'd lost a whole side. No way. Whole side was broke off of his skull. The whole thing out of his plate. He was, bleeding. Wow. he was bleeding freaking brains in his head. Like I drew back and I was all, what the hell? I pulled my bow away and I'm looking at him. I'm all, holy shit. 
Like, what the hell happened to him? You know, I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, do I, should I kill him still? Cause that's pretty freaking cool. Like that's pretty <laughs> cool. I mean, I like funky stuff, you know, before I'll shoot big stuff any day. And, uh, man, I was sitting there and the next thing I know, I, a cow caught my movement and I let down and they, they motored out of there and I was just standing there and just total disbelief. Like, what this is crazy like i just saw him 20 minutes ago he was intact i mean fully intact fighting this little rag tough animals man tough right animals. and i was just like yeah yeah dude oh big time and and he's just laying there like he's just bedding like you know hey what's up and uh so then i walked back off and and a friend of mine was where i left my stuff and whatnot and and I'm walking back and I get about halfway back and, I, and I'm looking at Colton and my binos and he's just like, go back. Like, you know, he's just waving his arms and going crazy. And I'm like, I couldn't understand what the hell he was talking about. So I cruise around and I was sitting there and I come over and he's just sitting there just in total disgust. He's just like, he's like, I can't believe you didn't see him. And I'll see what I said. Oh no, I drew on him, dude. I drew on him. He's he's busted off. One side of his whole skull plate is busted off. And he's all, no. No, dude. T-Rex is the one that fucked him up. T-Rex no was way. literally 50, He was like, T-Rex was literally 50 yards from you. You looked right over him. You, when no you way. Pulled, he goes, when you pulled your bow away and you looked around, you looked right over him. Right over the top of him. You didn't even see him. He goes, I thought you saw him. When I saw you let down, I thought you were making a move on him. And I see you walking back across the mountain and he's still standing there watching you walk around the mountain. And he goes, and he, he was, he couldn't believe it. Dude, he was just like, what the fuck? And, uh, <laughs> so I get back over there. I, I like, bet, dude. I bet T-Rex put that other one to bed. I bet that, I bet that elk didn't make it too much longer. I, I don't think you would have either. I should have shot him to be honest, but. Later that night, we kind of figured out where they went, and we went and got. We drove up to this. Well, we we thought we knew where he's going to go. We went to this one this one water hole, and we went up there, and there was like no sign. There was nothing. Yeah. And and my buddy was like, "Well, let's go check this other. Let's go down this canyon. It's a different way out of the BLM. Let's just kind of go that way and see if anything happens. Let's get." I said, "Let's go over that way because we know they were over here. I think they're still there. Like, so let's go over there and let's see if we can get in a calling scenario with them and see if we can get something over." We were cruising down in there, and, and he says, he's all, stop, stop the truck. And I'm like, what? He's all, there's water. And I said, yeah, okay. And he's all, no, there's nothing on any of my maps. There's not supposed to be any water over here. Like, there's no tank here. And he goes, but there's water over there. So he's like, back the truck up right here, and let's go over there. And, dude, we walked over there, and we crossed this one cattle fence and walked through the, on, you know, we were in this BLM. So just different yeah. fence and we walked through this fence and dude, this water was a brand new tank. They just made it that summer. Like it wasn't on any mapping. It was too new and it was nuked with elk, dude. I mean like the rec center of elk. Yeah. And when, then we hear them pipe off and we start booking it up through this pasture, get these trees, go over the saddle. We don't even make it halfway between the water and the trees. And uh, 
and they all are coming over. They're coming down the trees. Like we don't have time to make it to the trees. They're so close. I mean, we had six bulls in this thing, just go screaming at each other. So we're like back to the tank. I mean, we're like running up the hill and we're like the two stooges. We're like, Oh no crap. The other way retreat. And we go running back and we're running towards these tanks. And it's like, there's these big dirt mounds that they kind of made from digging this tank out. And there was like one six foot juniper. Okay. That was it. That was all there was to hide behind other than these dirt mounds and, and these little yellow tipped flower bushes that are about, Oh, three and a half feet tall by about three and a half foot wide. Yeah. Now my buddy, my buddy Colton, he's six, six. Uh, <laughs> he's a monster and tall. Okay. He's just a big dude. And, uh, and we go running and he dives behind this little yellow bush thing. Like curled up like a little kid behind this bush, trying to hide, <laughs> ducking this thing. And I go behind this juniper and I'm like, it was a perfect scenario for me because I could stand behind the juniper and they couldn't see me. So we sat there and it was getting, it was getting light was getting, it was, we were losing light. And, uh, we had this bull come in and he's like, he's ranging. He's, he's looked at me. He's all 300, 300 bull. And I was like, damn, really? I mean, I'm in a unit dude where like I should be shooting a 350 plus bull. No, no questions asked. Right. And, and he's all 300 tops. And I said, yeah. I said, is he intact? He's all, yeah, he's intact. And I'm like, because we were watching bulls over in this other area with this other guy. And I mean, 400 bulls cracking off. I mean, dude, dude things were breaking left and right. And after we saw huh. what happened to us that morning, we were like, we had talked to each other. And we were like, first intact bull we can get a shot on, we're taking. Basically, yeah. that was what we decided. That makes sense. So I was him and Han and him and Han. I mean, I still had one more day. But the hunts were getting harder. The elk were getting more educated. There was more hunters every day. And I was just like, I just looked at him and I was like, I said, I'm going to shoot him. And he's like, okay. And he goes to range him, kind of gets busted. Bull, bull, he was like, he was like 32. And then he went lay down and the bull kind of sketched a little bit and booked it and then came back. And, and I was like, okay, what is he? And he's all 50, 52. And I was like, no problem. So I drew, set my dial to 52, drew, stepped around that bush. And when I stepped around that juniper, I mean, I stepped around and he had walked out of the water up on one of those mounds. And he basically did a right-hand turn, left his ass in one spot and gave me a hard frontal, hard cornering frontal, downhill, ass in the air. And, uh, and I remember just, visually looking at that bull thinking this is the worst shot ever like this yeah this sucks and but i had been practicing that shot all summer long i was practicing that math on a hard quartering elk shot because i get presented that shot a lot and it was just always kind of been my nemesis shot and so i looked at him and I was just, I sell that pin right above his shoulder between his spine and his shoulder. And I was like, I'm just going to come in and try to grab that long. And, you know, I'm not a good, I mean, I'm a good shot, but I'm not comfortable with a, with a frontal that far by any means. So yeah. it was like, that, that was my presented shot. And so, man, I pushed that, pushed that pin into that elk and found the best center of my peep and I let it rip and it's all whack. And I was like, 
Ugh. Hit him in the shoulder. I grab another arrow. Colton jumps up. I'm loading another arrow, and I'm about to draw back, and Colton just grabs me by the chest. He's like, don't, don't. And I'm all, and I go to draw, and he's like, don't, don't. You spined him. He's in two-wheel drive, dude. He ain't going nowhere. <laughs> dude, he was in the, he was, he, he'd come forward, falling in the tank in the mud. He was trying to go back up the hill. He spun himself around to me broadside. Drew back, shot another one in his heart. He put his nose down the water, and he—that was it. He was done. Yeah, and, that's uh, awesome. That's a crazy dude, story, man. That's a crazy season, <laughs> dude. It was a great year, and I, dude, I jumped. I was so happy, dude. I jumped, and you guys there were asked Colton, dude. I jumped, and I almost put my crotch around his face. That's how high <laughs> I jumped in the air, dude. I was so excited, and uh, he grabbed me. And we were. Dude, it was like, it was a long, it was a hard hunt for us. Um, we grinded it out pretty hard for eight days. I mean, we worked our asses off day and night. And uh, late nights, early mornings, we had an hour drive in, an hour drive out. Um, we were supposed to hunt, you know, because I was with Toby with Antler Canyon Outfitters. And I, so I was supposed to be on the BLM right there. Um, the BLM didn't approve his his camping so they booted us out like the night before season opened we found some private ground that we could go camp on but it was an hour away um we put all our research into this part of the area we could have moved to some forest and done that but we knew we wanted to be where we were at and so we 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 stuck with what we wanted to do in our game plan even though it meant getting up earlier and going to bed later and it wore on us after a little while um, but I'll tell you what, that was one of the most, uh, relieving hunts I've ever been on. And I'll tell you, he wasn't a 300 inch bull. He ended up being a good 330 bull. And, there you, go. you know, it was still a respectful bull for the, for the unit. Um, he was intact and, uh, and the freezer was full, you know? And so, you know, it was, it was the hardest animal breakdown i've ever had as well i don't know if you've ever been in new mexico in a water tank but it's like it's like uh it's like quicksand okay and it's and you can't move your feet like it sucks you in and it's like you leave your boot behind trying to get out yeah. and that bull was about 15 feet in that tank and it took <laughs> everything me and me and uh big c i call him high c uh it took everything we we had to get him rolled over a couple times just to the edge of the water and uh do those little tiny flies little tiny suckers dude like we were we were talking to each other like this like if you opened your mouth you were eating bugs i mean Ugh. they were by the thousands on us while we were tearing protein apart right free protein Dude, it was it was gnarly, dude. I had so many flies up my nose, and every time I'd, because I, I was starting to huff and puff, because I'm in this mud. It was easier for me to be in the mud and Colton to be out of the mud because he's so big and heavy. Like he would just sink even more. And it took a, it took two very experienced field dressers three hours to break a bull down in a in a mud tank with to where we weren't making a mess of the meat and getting it muddy or and whatnot. And, uh, 
And all we had to do was pack it a hundred yards to the truck. <laughs> That's um, amazing. Do you have pictures of the bull? Like as it lied, like right there in the tank. I do have one. Yeah, I do have one um, where he was just kind of nose down in the mud. Um, and uh, it was pretty, it was, it, I mean, it was nasty, dude. It was nasty. I'm sure. I'm sure. And we couldn't, and you couldn't bring the truck over. People would ask that question. Well, why don't you just bring the truck over? Winch it out. Well, because the fine for driving off the road in BLM and making new track is thousands of dollars. And, you know, and it's just one of those things where, it wasn't going to happen. We had a little Royal between us too. Anyway, it was not like we could even drive over there even if we wanted to really, but, um, but we got that bull broke down. We got him out of there. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, that was, that was one of the most successful hunts I've ever been on because it, we worked our asses off. I executed a shot, not perfect, but good enough. Um, would I take that shot again? Maybe. Uh, the only reason, I did is because of how far he was his ass was up the hill he gave me a yeah. lot he gave me more room to work with um but uh i'm sure glad i didn't shoulder him really glad i hit him in the spine because he dropped right in his tracks right there and rolled into, yeah. the, into the tank but yeah um, that's an awesome story brandon that's cool. fun man i I like that whole season, and I, and I can't wait to hear what guy has to say about <laughs> about how he looked uh, at the beginning of the season he uh you know, he stayed up there and hunted his ass off for 30 days up there where I left it. And uh, the bull that I could have shot got shot by a muzzleloader and they couldn't find it. And then about five days later, guy found. Him. Yeah. Um, but he got hung up on this 360 bull that was coming in and out of that private. He he had opportunities to kill some other bulls, but he uh, he got he got horn hungry on that one. So that's the only <laughs> way I can get back at him to say he was horn hungry. Cause I can tell you that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's one of those things, man. I mean, when you've got an experienced caller like that, you really got to hold your post, right? You really got to stick it out, you know, and I'm a very impatient hunter, to be honest. I, I, I struggle with that. I like to beat the earth. I like to, you know, I'm kind of the old mentality where, you know, you blow and go, blow and go. Right. And if they're going to play, they're going to play. Like if they're going to play, it's going to happen an hour or less. Otherwise forget it. Just move on. Yeah. Uh, but guy taught me a lot on that hunt, Michael. He taught me a lot about how to call. He taught me a lot about my patience and who I am as a hunter. And he really educated me to a better success level by being patient. That's awesome. And, That's and it awesome. played off in New Mexico and it's played off since then. And, uh, you know, and, and, and he guy is someone who I'll hunt with any, any day, um, any day he works he has the same work ethic as me in camp, the same work ethic on the mountain. You know, I mean, he just has a more patient view and man, he, he taught me a lot. And that's, you know, cool, out man. Of, that's super cool. Out of that hunting story. That's, you know, those are the lessons I learned, you know, is practice those hard shots. You think you'll never take, listen to your hunting partner. Um, be patient. If you got a good caller and, uh, and just stay in the grind, stay with it, yeah. stay, stay after it because, you know, it, the more you're out there and the more you're grinding and the more you're working for it, I really do believe that good things come to people who work hard. I believe that, man. I believe that. And, you know, I've been hearing a lot of stories, obviously enough, right? Yeah. 
And so uh, it, that story you kind of told there about like being patient, staying, staying where you're supposed to be when your caller is calling, that's come up multiple times. So I think it's a very yeah. good lesson. Uh, and hopefully you can listen to Brandon, everyone listening and not have to learn this yourself. Otherwise you'll be on this podcast telling a similar story because I've heard a couple <laughs> of these. Um, yep. So yeah, do what you tell your caller you're going to do. Uh, but Brandon, man, this was awesome. Thank you so much for finally scheduling some time with me and getting in here and doing this. Um, I know I promised you some time here at the end so we could talk a little bit about math and you mentioned it a couple of times. So I want to make sure that people know, uh, you know, Mountain Archery Fest and, and, and kind of what you're into. So why don't we dive into that real quick? So Mountain Archery Fest is a big 3D shoot that we have around the country. We've got seven locations this year. We're going to be in Rome, Georgia in the third week of May. And then respectively, about every two weeks, we'll be in another location. So we leave Georgia. We go to Pennsylvania uh, near Scranton at Camp Freedom. Then we cruise to Utah at Soldier Hollow, which is the old 2002 Olympic grounds just outside of Salt Lake City near Heber. Then we come back to my hometown in Purgatory, Colorado, in, just outside of Durango. Then we go back to Utah on the southern side to Eagle Point, just outside of Beaver. Then we cruise up into Wyoming to Antelope Butte Recreation Area, which is in between Shell and Sheridan on the top of the Bighorns. And then we finish our season up just outside of Kalispell, Montana, at a resort called Blacktail Ski Area. And MAF is an all-inclusive, all, le- all disciplines, ages, and abilities shoot. We really ha- are the most complete 3D shoot in the USA. We have a track action mobility course for disabled. We have beginner courses all the way up to our carbon course, which is for fling and arrows as long as you can desire. Uh, <laughs> we have a great festival feel where family ran. And uh, I just tell you that, you know, we're, we're like a tack shoot, uh, but we're better um, <laughs> because we, because we include kids, we include families, we include disabled people. And uh, you know, because we're here for each individual archer across the country, we want them to come and have a safe and fun weekend and be around like-minded people that, are there to shoot their bows and grow within the sport in the, in the desired way that they like to shoot archery, whether it's 3d, just being outside, whether you're a hunter or not, you know, we just welcome people into a a family atmosphere where you can be welcomed no matter where you're at in the sport. It doesn't matter what you wear. doesn't matter the bow you shoot. We don't ring any division bells where we at our shoot. And we just welcome everyone. And so, you know, I just look forward to anybody that's listening. Please come and check us out. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, um, mountainartryfest.com. And uh, get registered while you can. Things are filling up good, doing well. We're going into our fifth year. And uh, I just couldn't be more blessed at what I get to do to help people have a great time and smile and grow in, in the sport of archery. and watching families that shoot together and hunt together and and just having killer sponsors dude i have killer sponsors onyx is taking us on as a title sponsor and vortex carbon tv i mean i i got That's a long awesome. list of people that, yeah. that follow us around armando the bow hitch guy with western contours podcast i mean you know i i'm just blessed to have the family that i have the math family and uh so come check us out we'd really really appreciate it yeah, man. I'll say a couple things. Um, I, I didn't quite have that moment of Zen like you did when I first brought up a bow. 
Um, in fact, I was like, I just want to hunt in September and not November. And that's why I started bow hunting. I was like, it's too cold. Uh, but <laughs> when I started doing 3D shooting, that's when archery hit me. Um, so if you guys haven't gone out there and shot a 3D course, get out there. Uh, I'm going to put links to all of the stuff in the show notes. So you guys can just click on it and jump over to the Mountain Archery Fest website, things like that. But um, I haven't shot Mountain Archery Fest, but it's on my list um, because I've heard so many good things. The Vendor Village, all this stuff. Um, but yeah, 3D archery, it, it just like stoked my passion for hunting as a whole, specifically archery. And, uh, and I'm, I'm damn near addicted. So what you're doing is cool, Brandon. So thank you, man. Oh, you're welcome. And if you, you know, if you guys want to come and volunteer, volunteering equals free shooting. Uh, you can win a killer shirt, killer sticker. You got to earn it. Um, but you know, we we're always looking for volunteers. If you're a little calf strapped and you want to still come be a part of what we're doing and. You know, we got a cornhole tournament, lots of nightlife, cool things to do. We give away hunts, yeah. gear, bows, glass. I mean, dude, just come have a good time. And I look forward to seeing you there. I got a ticket with your name on it. And uh, <laughs> so you won't have any excuses not to be there. You got yourself you got yourself a free, some free shooting ahead of you there, Michael. All right. Perfect, man. Perfect, Brandon. All right. Well, thank you, you again, man. I appreciate it. This has been a ton of fun. And um, those were some amazing stories. And that's what we're here for. Right on. Thanks for allowing me the time. Yeah, of course. All right, guys, that's it. Another couple stories from the books. Once again, I want to thank Brandon, of course, for taking his time, because I know he's a very busy guy, to come on the podcast and share some of his crazy stories with us. Uh, I also want to encourage you all to check out his links. Again, they are in the show notes. Check out Mountain Archery Fest, check out their Instagram, their webpage, and attend one of their events. I know for a fact I didn't really love archery. It was just sort of a means to hunting in a warmer season until I started doing 3D archery. Um, So if you've never done it before, get out there and do it. And and Mountain Archery Fest is a great way to get started. Um, So that's it, guys. Uh, Last thing I want to mention, well, actually a couple more things. One, thank you very much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoy these stories as much as I do. Uh, But then too, and this will be the final thing, make sure you share the podcast with someone. Uh, I want to grow this thing and not just with the number of listeners, but I want to have my my reach get farther and farther. The farther my reach, the more crazy stories we're going to be able to hear, the more people that are going to be reaching out. So please make sure you share this with someone. Or if you know someone who's got a great story, hit them up and connect the two of us. Uh, That's it, guys. Thanks again. Now go make some stories of your own.